Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. It sure is. And today we've got a lot of burning and saving. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's our goal every single episode, but I definitely think today is going to be a day of burning. That doesn't sound right. I don't know. Sounds weird. Sounds weird. We shouldn't have said that, but let's keep it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We're going to be continuing our series on uh, essentially looking at grace in the Old Testament, um, which sounds contradictory to some people. Uh, Last week, we talked about like the law and is it like legalistic? Um, And this week, we're talking about a bright topic about genocide. Yep, Yay. Just super happy thing to talk about. Genocide. <laughs> um, well, it's essentially, it's more, it's a, uh, yeah, I guess we are focusing in on genocide, but it's kind of answering a big question about like a lot of violence in the Old Testament. So I think yeah. it's pretty helpful. I think it's pretty helpful to talk about. And um, yeah, there's a lot of things to go through with this. Yes. So we've got some, yeah, some pretty helpful stuff for yeah. you. Yeah, but I guess I we should mention at the top of this episode that yes, we are talking a lot about violence this episode. And whilst I think that this is, we, we always try to be as family friendly and as sensitive as possible to people who um, have been affected by um, some really serious things. If this gets a little bit too heavy for you, then feel free to skip it. Um, we do talk about some heavy stuff, but uh, I think we're going to redeem a lot of it. So that's really helpful. Uh, so if you want to soldier through it, um, trust us. We're going to be gentle and uh, we'll get to the other end together. Yeah. Um, and so, again, we're not like a definitive source on all of this. We we read. What, what are you talking listen. about, Josh? <laughs> no, well, I'm just we're saying like... be all if, and end all. <laughs> well, like we're trying to cram this whole topic into a one hour episode, which a lot of people are like an hour is plenty of time, but I'm like, no, 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 it's <laughs> <There's>, not. <laughs> um, there's whole books on this. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I would recommend. Um. Yeah. Like, I hope this. I, I think this will be helpful and give you some good overviews of some points. Um. But if you want to go into like the real nuts and bolts of the history and all that kind of stuff and the context, language and all that kind of stuff, um, we're happy to recommend some books at some stage. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a yep. starting point. This is not the end. Yeah, yeah. But so get in, get in contact with us and we can help uh, help yeah. connect you to some books and resources on this sort of stuff too if yeah. you want to go deeper. But yeah, today will definitely be a good start on it. Sorry if you can hear my phone clacking against the thing. All right. Uh, but first, uh, any announcements, Jesse? Um... <laughs> I, I I don't know. I'm uh, I don't know. No, no announcements. I'm ba- I baked bread yesterday. Um, nice. I'm just announcing that just for people to know so that I they know that I baked some bread. Nice. I I baked some banana bread last week. It's delicious. Yeah, and I'm about to bake some more today. Oh, I'm so jealous. Maybe I'll have to make some banana bread as well. It's very good, gluten free. Yep. Wow. Amazing. Um. Yeah. So, uh, but obviously, before we get into it, we got to go through the question of the question week, of the week. which I, I love doing. I get the feeling that um, I know what question of the week we're going to do this week. Whoa! Really? <laughs> oh no! We, we last week we had a question, and then at the end of that question, I decided we should do the like the the other side of that question coin. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, go with it. So last week, the question was, if you were like a villain, what would your animal sidekick, your villainous animal sidekick be? Yeah. And so this week, it's, if you were a hero, what would your animal sidekick be? Can you remind the people what your uh, villain sidekick was? Because I think that's going to form a nice contrast to whatever your hero sidekick is. Uh, a Canadian goose? No, I'm kidding. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I think I went. I went with a rhino. That's it. Which, that's looking right, back, yeah. I'm like that was a strange answer for me. But I still, I'm going to stand by it. I think he could be mm. a very villainous sidekick. I was. I didn't mention it, but I was expecting you to just go full on big cat. Like that's what I was expecting from you. Yeah, I was trying not to be too, uh, like, well, I don't know, because I was thinking like a lion, but then I feel like lions are very heroic, you know? Mm. And I thought tiger, I'm like, no, I don't know. I I, I like tigers. I don't want them to be like associated with villains, you know? <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Perhaps, Fair enough. perhaps a panther or something, but mm. anyway, I'm going to stick with a rhino. A black panther would be cool. Anyway, yeah, no, mm. all good. And I was yeah. a bear. Um, all right, so do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You can go first. Okay, well, I hope I'm not stealing yours, but you did just mention it before. If I was a hero, I think my animal sidekick would be a Siberian tiger. <laughs> so specific. Why a Siberian tiger? Well, because it's kind of topical, and uh, I've been, I've been, I've been watching a specific TV show about tigers. You have not been watching Tiger King, have I you? Really? Watched, I just watched the first episode <laughs> last night. <laughs> Because ever literally everybody is talking about it, so I, I can not like it's like you either feel left out and just kind of play along with all the jokes and all the memes, or like you just dip your toe. Yeah. Karina was not she was not keen, and I think after the episode she was also kind of not keen, but I think she was <laughs> more keen than when she started. Yep. I, want, I, I do want to watch it. I Yeah, I was just surprised. That you don't seem like the kind of person who would watch Tiger King. That's why I'm no. surprised. Yeah, no, no. It's not. It's definitely not my... It's definitely <laughs> not the sort of show I would watch. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a fan of, like, the deep south hillbilly documentary type, like, comedy thing. But, look, it's, it's interesting. It's real, which is probably what makes it even more insane. And... That's why I'm choosing a tiger. <laughs> Redeem it. The guy has the, the guy has over two hundred I think there's like two hundred and twenty tigers in his zoo. Just tigers. That's crazy, because like considering tigers are like an endangered animal. There are more tigers in captivity in the United States than there are wild in the in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So wow, he, that's a fact I didn't need to hear today. Well, I mean, yeah, I was blown away when I heard that. The fact is that if um, all the tigers in the wild go extinct, tigers will probably not go extinct if current trends continue because zoos and you can own a tiger. Apparently, I didn't know this. You can own a tiger in the United States. You can just own it. Like you can take it home with you. It's crazy. That is crazy. I would love a pet tiger. I would be- <laughs> terrified of a pet tiger but i would love it if it was loyal to me yes. i'd love it but i don't yes. feel like ti- i don't feel like tigers can truly be tamed no they're, they're 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 wild animals at heart even if you raise them from like a cub they're they're still a wild animal yeah yeah it's like foxes yeah or like wolves like you can never like or a dingo you know like it's yeah. it's not possible well i mean yeah no that's true did i ever tell you about that time i uh i i got to go in an enclosure with dingoes no 
Yeah, it's a photo on my Instagram to prove it. Um, <laughs> no, Danelle and I went to this wildlife thing and then they had like, oh, you can have a dingo experience. We're like, what's a dingo experience? They're like, you just pay 40 bucks and you both get to go in the enclosure, feed the dingoes, hang out, pat them, cuddle them. And we were like, yeah, all right. <laughs> it was <laughs> awesome. It was the amazing. best 40 bucks I've ever spent. Wow. And um, yeah, it was great. I don't know how it's legal, but amazing amazing like when you're when you see them you're like oh yeah they're just like dogs but when you actually like are with them they're not dogs they're so different like their jaws they're so much more flexible like their their paws and everything can like twist right around it's crazy and they're just crazy there's so much energy wow but they're the size of like i don't know maybe like a golden retriever like maybe yeah these ones were anyway yeah 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 but dingoes are amazing they are. Yeah. Okay, so your villain sidekick would be a tiger. No, no, hero sidekick. Sorry, sorry. Hero hero yeah, yeah. sidekick would be a tiger. Yep. You know, to be honest, I would have thought the other way around. I would feel like a villain would have a tiger and a hero would have a bear. Maybe. That's like maybe. kind of like what a jungle book, Shere Khan type, you know, like the, the tiger is always the villain in the story if there's a tiger, right? Mm. I'm thinking of World of Warcraft, I think. Oh, yeah. There okay. are the bears bears are often like dwarf sidekicks but right but is alliance really the good guys (laughs) that's another discussion (laughs) that's its own podcast okay um all right mine i you know what i i can't get away from it i think it's a wolf Mm -hmm. you know like a dire wolf kind of thing just i just can't i can't get away from the thought of them being like a, a great hero animal companion yeah you know like I would think a lion, but lions—they just feel like if you're like the king or something, mm. you know. Like if you, but I wouldn't be. Yeah, I'm just—I'm just a general hero, so that would just be like it'd have to be a wolf. They just—they yep. could smell. I mean, if you can get a really big one too, then you could even ride it. But that would have to be a really big, really big wolf. Yeah, no, that's cool. What do you think? Okay, uh, what do you think? Like, extra question. I'm asking the question this time, okay? It's a question Whoa. on top of the question. Okay. Well, are you just playing that Uno reverse card? Yeah, bro. Okay. <laughs> if you yeah. were like a fantasy character, like a fantasy hero, what do you think the ideal hero matching would be to your wolf? Like, what archetype would fit best? I'm not sure what you mean. Can you answer for it? And then I'll... Okay, so like, for instance, a tiger... Like, uh, if I was a fantasy hero, let's say I was playing World of Warcraft, let maybe like a troll druid. Is that is that a possible combo? Yep. You could be a troll druid. Like, you know, it's jungle, uh. you know, it's it's connected to nature sort of thing. So a tiger would be like an ideal companion to a troll druid. Uh, okay. Well, okay. I think if I'm comparing it to that, then my problem is that Animal companions in World of Warcraft are always only a um, hunter can have them. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's okay. always like an archer or like a gun, that kind of thing. Okay. But if I'm gonna try and do my best to break that stereotype in my head, I would. I still feel like a wolf. A wolf is like a, like you'd have like a bow and arrow, like a ranger kind of thing. You yep. send in the wolf. Yep. Yeah. So mm. I would say I would say for myself, yeah, I would want to be like a bow and arrow kind of guy. Like an Aragorn. Like, imagine if Aragorn had, like, a pet wolf. How much be- better and how much quicker would Lord of the Rings have been if he had a wolf? <laughs> that would be so sick. <laughs> the whole thing would have been over in the first movie because it would have been like, whoa, whoa, guys, we got this. Imagine, <laughs> like, imagine like Aragorn riding a wolf versus, like, an orc riding a wag. A wag, those, like, hyena things? Yeah, I, I would say a wag is, like, a combination between, like, a wolf and a, a hyena. Mm. Yeah. 
kind of like that would be pretty but like a big wolf like a massive oh goodness yeah a one that he can ride yeah 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 it's like because like a wag is like to a uh a wolf what an orc is to an elf because in the lord of the rings uh orcs are actually used to be elves that's that's what they are derived yeah. from so kind of, it's like so a wag is like a mutated wolf sort of thing huh. but and huge I want to talk more about Lord of the Rings lore, but we'll do that. We'll do that at the end of the episode after okay. the after the because <laughs> I'm interested in this. We'll come back to it. We'll do okay. this like this will be post. So the episode might look long, but that'll be because the post discussion will be long. Okay, <laughs> no. all right. Sounds okay, good. <laughs> all right. Let's get into uh, let's get into the other topic for today. The okay. uh, the genocide, the, ge- the, the fun <laughs> so genocide like topic that we're thing. really what? excited to get into. Yeah, it's just it's just a weird thing to talk about. But okay, I just got to get out of that and just say it's really it's going to be really helpful for people. Just do it, Josh. Just do it. Okay, just, just suck it up. So, um, all right. So here's a big problem, right? Um, so a lot of people, and this is what we talked about last week. They see the God of the Old Testament as violent, very different to the God of the New Testament. Um, and I think seeing something like a genocide in in Canaan, which we read about in Joshua does not help the situation at all yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially for our culture because we're just like what how could like a good just god do that yeah how could he command his people to do that is he is he condoning genocide like that's crazy mm. Mm. um and yeah so for for us i think yeah i don't know like i like and we mentioned this last week too we don't live at least in like in our part of the world um we don't live in as violent a culture as yes. back then. I know there are still very violent parts of the world today, and I'm not denying that. I'm just saying the part of the world where we live and where our perspective of this is coming from, and the place where I think I get this objection the most is from people in the same sort of country as me. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, like in these days, growing up and having people around you die mm. I, seems really common. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for me, you know, and for for our culture, it's just it's not that common to have people close to you die mm-hmm. until like later in life, kind of thing. You know, it's it's just not as common. Yeah, I think most of the um, contact that we as Westerners have with um, really really harsh realities like genocide is uh, what we see on the news. You know, and mm. because our reality is so far removed from that, like if you're old enough to remember like the 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 bosnian um war where you know so many people innocent people were died uh, were killed in villages and in in their cities uh or even the 1994 rwandan genocide you know that just kind of comes out of nowhere and it just shocks you like how is this even possible how can this happen in this in the world today yeah like what kind of people would do that you just can't even yeah you just can't imagine. even imagine it mm. yeah um so yeah, like that that sort of cultural divide makes it really difficult to t- to talk about and to wrestle with. Yes. Um, and which is an interesting thing because you think about even like, um, I'll say two hundred years ago, it seemed like people reading this stuff didn't have a problem with it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah that stuff happens. You know what I mean? That well, makes sense. I mean, that's because two hundred years ago we talked about this last week. You yeah. know, to see somebody hanged in the village square was not an uncommon thing. Yeah. To, to see somebody, you know, being hauled out of their home after dying from, you know, disease or plague or uh, an accident, that was just common 
common, you know, everyday material, you know? Yeah. Um, um, so I, I think we definitely live, like we should be definitely thankful that we live in a time where violence and death and disease is um, not as common. I mean, obviously <laughs> it's kind of a little bit different like right now, but in yeah, general, true. <laughs> but in general, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're very, I would say privileged um, to live mm. in a time of peace and relative you don't have to if you're a westerner at least and in most parts of the world you don't have to worry about walking out your door and getting killed by a marauding band of cutthroat criminals you know sort of thing um that's yeah generally people Fully. don't get yeah so it i think that's what makes it really difficult especially for us as westerners to read these stories of genocide and mass murder and um and and try to figure out okay am i actually supposed to be going for the israelites in this case because yeah they get oppressed and they get um waged war upon in many stories in the old testament but at the same time they're all often perpetrators of horrific crimes of mass genocide and murder and all throughout it god seems to be putting his uh rubber stamp of approval on these acts from time and time and time again mm. so how do we how do we match up our um modern uh western post magna carta post united nations human rights sort of um moral compass with with these stories of genocide and murder um is it even possible, you know, like, are we just so far removed from that culture that we can't relate at all? I think that's one of the biggest difficulties that we have with reading these texts. Yeah. And I will say another problem with this too, before we get into it, um, is that it's re- like, you think about the current society we live in, the, how do I, how do I, how do I this? Um, like accusations are really easy to tweet sort of thing, mm. like 120 characters, 240 characters. It's really easy mm. to say, well, I don't believe in God because he's so violent. Look at the genocide in the Old Testament. You know what I mean? But to respond to it, it's very difficult to respond and explain it in 240 mm. characters. Yes. You know, like it's it's very difficult to like give a quick, easy explanation to this question because there's so many nuances, so many language things, so many mm. like history you've got to unpack. It's very hard to give a satisfying answer to somebody in the current way that we talk about this. Like, you know, even just the other day, um, so for those of you interested, <laughs> I've been like doing some stuff on TikTok lately, right? <laughs> um, just trying to, I don't know, don't judge me, but it's, it's an interesting field for ministry. So I'm trying to work out like what's, how can we use it in an interesting way? Um, and it's been really fun. I've been really enjoying it. But I got a comment, right? And, um, and oh, guys, I did this thing about how to read the Bible every day, um, like how to get into those habits. And this guy commented back and he's just like, I've got an easy way. Just don't read the Bible because it's full of bad history. And you, just, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay. So I started writing out a response and the character limit just kept getting me. I couldn't word a proper response to him within the character limit. It yeah. was important because you have to give an example and then you have to share how that is. Ex- and I, I'd have to write like three or four comments to just give one example because the character limits are so short. So in the end, I just had to say, sorry, bro, I'm not an apologist, but I'm happy to give you some resources if you'd like them. That's all I could feel. And literally that was the max character yeah. limit, that sentence. And, wow. Um, yeah. And so I, and I mean, he never responded. So I'm like, oh, well, that's 
fun. But I'd still be happy to like link it, link from stuff if they wanted. But you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. So that's the kind of society we live in. And that's why I think online, that's why I see a lot of accusations against God. And the defenses are always, they always look kind of mediocre. But if you read a blog or listen to a, like something long form or read a book, the defenses are quite good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we are transitioning, I think, in, in a way like... I think the last three, four years, we are transitioning from a tweetable um, way of gathering and distributing information to a more nuanced, long form way of like digesting content. Because I think that for the longest time, I don't know if I think we've talked about this before, but I think for the longest time, like news outlets, radio, television, etc., has been condensing. Uh, information to the the sharpest, snappiest, quickest um, bite size because, you know, uh, advertising space is really cutthroat and um, airtime is really small. But now with the rise of independent media, like what we're doing right now, is allowing people to actually digest information, long more long-form information. I think people are actually starting to um, to want that rather than like, what does the Reddit article say? What can I read from the headline? And I'm just going to make a comment right now. Like people still do that. But I think more and more, we are moving to a place where people are wanting deep analysis, which I think is is good. But I don't think everybody's coming on board with that. But I think we are moving yeah. there slowly. I think so. But there are also like blogs uh, declining in popularity. Yeah. Podcasts are rising in popularity. So I don't know. There's a little bit of both there. It's an interesting time, and like even, like TikTok is rising in popularity, and the limit on those videos is one minute. Mm. But the ones that are under thirty seconds perform best. So interesting. Like I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I guess. But that's a side point, I guess. So that's I think that's the tensions we're wrestling with here in our modern society are really in those two sort of things. Yes. Um. So in this podcast, we'll we've got basically four main points that we're going to go through. Um. Should I give them the roadmap now? I'll give you the roadmap now. Yeah, go and for it. And then we'll... Um, so, first, we're going to look at, like, who the Canaanites were because that will help you to see why God might have said this. Um, we're also going to give a look at, like, God actually working with the Canaanite people behind the scenes a little bit. Um, like, some, some stuff that God was doing that a lot of people... It's like a little bit of a nuance in the story that a lot of people don't notice. And then we're going to look at the language that's been used um, that it's sort of like this overly emotive language. And then we're going to look at Jesus because that's where every good sermon finishes. You always land the plane with Jesus. That's how you do it. You land the plane with the gospel every time. So that's where we're going to land the plane. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> um, should, yeah, we so start, should we start with a little bit of context of where we are in the story of the Israelite people? Sure. All right. So we <clears throat> are basically uh, doing a skip, hop, and a jump from... God giving the law to the Israelites at uh, Sinai. They're in the desert. They've just escaped from Egypt. They're wandering around and they end up through a whole series of episodes of um, them basically letting down God and letting down themselves. They end up wandering for about 40 years and basically an entire generation passes away, save for a handful of people. And after Moses dies... Um, Joshua, his right-hand man, basically steps up and becomes the de facto leader of the Israelite people. And 
as uh, the older generation has passed, a younger generation is, is here and they are ready to rumble and they are instructed by God to cross the Jordan River and to conquer this land that they've been promised for like the last 40 years. It's theirs for the taking. And they basically go from city to city, town to town, um, raising fortresses and cities and towns and killing people and taking over the land like a, a conquering nation does. Hmm. Yeah, that's sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have anything to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but you raised a good question and that's the question that we're going to start with. These people that they're conquering, who were they? Mm. yeah um so the canaanites um interesting group of people uh but (laughs) if you actually read about them from the old testament you you would definitely see some i would i would actually argue bigger problems with the way they functioned as a people Mm. um they definitely had some really dark practices um and they uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, there was some really dodgy stuff going on across that nation. I would actually argue that they were a threat to themselves and the nations around them. That's mm. how I would argue it, and to Israel too, yeah. like God's people. And so you got to remember, like, God, part of what God is doing is He's also looking after Israel as His chosen people. I feel like there's a little bit of a nuance that you see through the Bible that He is actually working with other people around, but Israel seems to be the one that He's like working with the most but anyway we'll, we'll come back to that later yeah for sure for sure yeah no uh, i think that's i think that's right um in fact uh, we see in deuteronomy 9 verse 5 um god actually gives a little bit of an insight to this to the israelites um he says and i'm reading from the new living translation it is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land the lord your god will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, so in other words, like God isn't building up Israel and saying, hey, you guys are so good. Um, he's mm. actually saying, look, the wickedness of the people necessitates a hostile takeover, um, that they are actually a poison to themselves and to you. And we see this illustrated over and over again. Um, yeah. You know, we see the Israelites getting close to some of these neighboring nations and ultimately becoming corrupted through them. Um, We see it while they're wandering through the desert. Um, We see it after they've conquered the Canaanites. And spoiler alert, they don't actually wipe them all out. They actually leave many of them still alive, which become a real problem for them, for the Israelite nation later on. Yeah, that's um, something you actually see. Um, the Book of Judges. I really don't. I don't enjoy reading the Book of Judges because it's a very heavy book, which I've talked about many times. But that's part of the the interesting way the Book of Judges is written. It starts off describing all these heinous heinous practices of those other nations, and mm. it it's got this spiral of violence where the nations are doing horrible things. Israel starts doing those things or doing part of those things. God raises up a judge, brings them back. And then they get even more violent. Like, then they, they thank God, they're like, yay. And then eventually they just slip back in and become worse mm. than they were before to the point where it spirals to the very last two chapters, which are absolutely horrible, where they're doing the exact same things, if not worse, than the other nations around them. Like, yeah. they just become the very thing that God was trying to bring them out of. It's 
that's that's exactly and i think that's part yeah. of the reason here is that like these practices were so horrible that god was trying to like build a new people who yeah. wouldn't do any of this stuff yeah and um, funnily enough the, the the book of judges ends with an entire tribe basically being genocided because of this of this horrible thing and mm. it's really tragic and it actually ends um with the i i guess possible worst consequences for practicing immoral things like having your entire subgroup wiped out um because of what you're doing um so if anything that should give you a clue that god's actually not that cool about genocide he actually it's it's like the possibly the worst thing that could happen to you and to your your people yeah. Oh goodness, I just dropped my phone. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's, so my my case broke, and so it's all slippery now because there's no oh, case on it. But anyway. Yowch. Uh, um, That's scary. Yeah. Um, and it, if you would like a uh, detailed description of some of the things that they used to do, in Le- Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it does yeah. have descriptions. But um, for example, and if you have um, a weak stomach, then feel free to skip the next few seconds while I describe one of the things they used to do. But they used to perform child sacrifices. One of the things that they would do, um, their god, um, um, Malik? Um, no. Ma- Ma- Marduk? Marduk. Yeah, Marduk. So when you got a house, you the first your firstborn, you would have to sacrifice that to Marduk by basically placing them in a very hot statue of Marduk and it basically cooks them alive. It's horrible. Yep. Um, as a baby. And then they would build the corpse into like the walls of the house to like and that was a sign of like the house being protected by Marduk and you weren't allowed to show any grief for you weren't even allowed to show a hint of grief because that would um that would basically like cancel out the sacrifice so you weren't even allowed to be sad about it you had to do it it's horrible yep oh I hate even I feel sick just describing it and yeah. I hate that people have to listen, but that's just, for example, what they would do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to some of the other practices that they that they got up to. Um, I, yeah, we don't have to describe all of them, but that that's, you know, that's your taster. Um, and yep. that's that's possibly one of the, uh, the worst things that they did, but they did many other things, you know, sexual um, immorality and depravity were just, you know, rife. I can't imagine how infected and um like how many diseases were being yeah. transmitted from people to people um we don't really think about that these days because you know like we read the bible and we just think you know oh yep that's just what they were doing but like if you can imagine some of the stis that exist today um they are not 21st century inventions they have been around for millennia yeah. so uh, not only were these people really really uh, heinous in the way that they were practicing their spiritual lives they were partaking in all sorts of physical things that were um, causing deformities and diseases and infections and just absolutely just completely um, demoralizing de- dehumanizing and um, destroying their bodies and their minds and ultimately their societal structures because mm-hmm. that's really I think when it comes down to it, the thing that God was wanting to break down the most, not kill people, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but actually break down and dissolve the um, societal structures that they had built up around um, all these practices. 
Mm. Yeah, and so I think like there's some real heinous stuff. Yeah, going on, and it's disgusting for us to like. I, I it's disgusting to look at and read about, and oh, I hate it. Yeah. Um. So you can see, like, it's not like these people were the most innocent. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not mm. like there was. It's not like they. It's not like they were doing good things, you know. Um, yeah. Sure, maybe there was some good in there too, um, unfortunately. But at the same time, something we have to remember is, and we kind of, I think we brought this up last week too. They didn't have like jail systems and penitentiary systems like we do today. Um, so it's kind of like, what's what's the alternative here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, yeah. like, I mean, another complaint I get a lot is like, why are there all these bad things happening? Why doesn't God do something about them? So back then, God does something about it. People complain, you know? And then <laughs> if he doesn't do something about it, people complain. Like, what does he do? You know, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty difficult. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to be in God's position. I no. say that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I think one of the, one of the best uh, analogies that I've found um, that John Walton actually uses, he's the author of the book, The Lost World of the Israelite Conquest, which is a great book. I've only um, read little bits of it, but um, what I've read have been really excellent. He basically compares uh, the way that the Israelites drove out the Canaanites to the way that the Allies drove out the Germans from um, like Western and Central Europe during the end of World War II. You know, so the allies landed on the on the beaches of normandy and they swept through france and they swept through all these um, occupied nations um driving the 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 nazi forces back to berlin they didn't kill every single german that they encountered what their goal was was to dismantle the um, political and military structures that the nazis had set up throughout europe to ultimately dismantle the Nazi empire. That was their goal. And that is ultimately what they uh, achieved. And I think that's the same sort of thing that God is trying to do here. He is using the Israelites to sweep through these Canaanite nations to dismantle the military, political, spiritual, social structures that they've set up. Because ultimately, those structures are oppressive, they are dehumanizing, and they are driving the people who are under them, the innocent people, into a subhuman way of life. Um, and ultimately, that's what God is. So ultimately, that's what God is doing. He's using the Israelites as liberators to uh, liberate the people that are under this yoke of um, depravity and oppression uh, to a better way of life. That's that's what God's ultimate plan is for the Israelites in general, to that they would be a nation through which all other nations are blessed. Mm. And that's the thing, eh? you look, and this is what we talked about last week too, like you look at the practices of Israel compared to the other nations and they, like at the time, and everything they did was so wholesome and would actually be a blessing if people followed them. That's what God was pursuing. Yeah. Um, so you can see why he had to dismantle these other nations in order for Israel to be that blessing, um, which is hard. It's hard to read. It's hard to think about, but that's just, it's part of the consequence of like our kind of like our sinful bent nature you know we're like bent yeah. to that and this is like a picture of what happens when we fully just give in to that almost yeah yeah um yeah mm. um should we take a quick break yeah let's do it cool
So getting into the uh, actual genocides themselves, specifically the places that uh, Joshua and the Israelite soldiers attacked, we see a, a story, a narrative, starting with Jericho. That's the really famous one. Um, and there, there are other little towns like Ai, Eglon, and Debir, and many other little towns and cities that we see the Israelites attack. And a lot of the time when we read these, we read them like, like like flipping the script like we just talked about the allies uh, attacking the nazis well sometimes it feels like the israelites are the nazis on this blitzkrieg sort of uh, warpath just barreling through these cities and towns um, wiping out little shop holders and women and children and people in fields like absolutely just military massacre of uh, civilians and innocents um but there's a book actually by uh, Joshua Ryan Butler. His, it's called The Skele- Skeletons in God's Closet. Um, and in his book, he, he points out something really quite interesting. He points out that the towns and cities that are named and mentioned, um, at least those, there may have been others, but at least the ones that are mentioned, they're all military strongholds. They're not civilian centers. So when I think thought of Jericho when I was a kid, um, well, honestly, when I thought of Jericho when I was a kid, I thought of the VeggieTales version with the two peas, <laughs> the two French peas on top, um, doing the parody of Monty Python and the, yeah. the Holy Grail. <laughs> um, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But when I, when I thought of Jericho, I thought of, yes, it's a walled town. It's a walled city. But, you know, there's people inside with, you know, there, there are people selling, you know, bread and, you know, there's just it's just a regular schools and businesses and, and, and services and things like that. But... Actually, what Joshua Ryan Butler points out is that Jericho and many of these other towns, they're actually military strongholds. So they're Mm -hmm. walled cities because, um, for instance, Jericho is on the border between um, the, the Jordan River and the desert. So it's it's an exposed place. It's a fortified place. It's a stronghold. It's a it's a a vanguard against uh, invaders from the direction that the Israelites come. Um, Makes a lot of sense on a military level. So yeah. When it comes to these towns, they're not actually strongholds. In fact, here's what um, Joshua Ryan Butler says. The cities Israel takes out are military strongholds, not civilian population centers. So when Israel utterly destroys a city like Jericho or AI, we should picture a military fort being taken over, not a civilian massacre. God is pulling down the Great Wall of China, not demolishing Beijing. Israel is taking out the Pentagon, not New York City. Oh, what good, like, ana- like modern analogies. That's so yeah. well done. That should also come as a criticism to every uh, sci-fi director who makes the aliens pop out over New York City as if New York City has some sort of military strategic <laughs> value. True. <laughs> it's always it's always New York. Why is it I'm, always New York? I'm looking at you, Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. Why? Anyway, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think that does. I think that does actually already just that. I think makes this a little bit easier to understand in the context of yeah that Old Testament book. The fact that a like these people were really heinous, depraved. Is that a good word to use? I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and they were sort of toxic to where they were and the nations around them. And the places that they attacked were sort of dismantling their strongholds, not necessarily their civilian population um, centers. So, Mm. um, I think already, like, that's a good start. 
but we're yeah. going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention though, um, before we move on, there is other one other thing. I know we've given you guys a lot of things to look up, but if you want to look up one other really interesting thing, go to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And in that story, um, we see uh, that, uh, that um, God sets out a set of rules of engagement. So throughout the entire story, we don't often see it, but what basically happens is God says, hey, when you go to a city, offer to uh, make peace with them. And if they want to make peace, these are the terms that you will have to offer. And we don't see it every time, but actually the implication is that every time Joshua comes to a city, um, they would give their terms and they say, we want to make peace. We don't want war. Here are our terms. And most of the time that's just rejected. Um not always. So mm-hmm. we see that in the case of Rahab when uh, we go to the uh, the city of Jericho and she says, hey, look, when you guys come in and take over, spare me and my family. And there's no sort of like haggling. There's no sort of like negotiation. They're just straight up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you helped us. Um, you're wanting protection. You respect our God. So we will protect you. And they keep their word. Um same thing with the uh, the men of Gibeon, you know, that little town that basically tricked Joshua. Even though Joshua was like super mad when he found out the Gibeonites tricked him, he still honored his word. He still mm. actually gave them protection. And actually, a few chapters later, the Gibeonites are attacked by a neighboring um, uh, city-state and Joshua comes to their aid and, and protects them. Even though they tricked him and you would think that like in an ancient time, it's like, you tricked us, we'll kill you sort of thing. no. They have a sort of a, a, a sort of a Geneva Convention before the Geneva Convention of how to engage. So, wow, they don't have to, but they do. Hmm. So is there even like a lot of grace in that? Which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Such little. That's the thing. See how there's like all these little nuances in the yeah. story, the way it's written that people miss. They just see the big thing. Yeah. And to be fair, it is a big thing. I get it. Like I'm not, <laughs> you know. But yeah. All right. Let's talk about um. Like okay. Was God, because a lot of people think, like, wasn't there another way God could have done this? Like, isn't there another way God could have, um, I suppose, like, shifted the Canaanites away from doing this kind of thing to maybe help them to be a more positive nation, to not be mm. doing all this horrible stuff? Uh, and to be honest, he was actually trying other ways first. Uh, and so we're going to check that out, um, that God was actually kind of working a little bit behind the scenes with these people before it came to this, which most people don't talk about, they don't see, but yeah. it's right there. It's right there in the text. Um, Jesse, you wanna you wanna lay it out for us? Sure, sure. Well, I think it's 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 often easy for us to assume that the only nation that God really cares about is the Israelite nation, and to be fair, most of the screen time is given to the <laughs> screen time. <laughs> yeah. uh, page time is given yeah. <laughs> to, the, to the Israelite nation, the the, the generation of um, the generation of uh, Abraham. But uh, all the way back in Genesis, actually, um, God is talking to Abram back before it was Abram, and he talks about um, nations that he's actually working with. And you you do see this even throughout the minor prophets, like you see God saying, "Hey, look, I reached out to these people. I tried to work with these people, and it's always kind of like thrown back in God's face." So mm. God doesn't have favorites. I think it's like we're all his favorites sort of thing, but yeah. some people choose to respond and some people choose not to, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, Israel were the chosen nation, but it doesn't, in my in my reading of it, it doesn't mean he loved them more than everyone else. It 
Yeah. You know, it, it kind of means he'd chosen them for a purpose to be that nation and be that blessing to others and to yeah. be where the savior of the world comes through. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, they had a purpose is what he chose them for, not because he doesn't love everybody else. Well, I think ultimately, yeah. you know, like God's purpose for the Israelite nation was that they would be so influential to the nations around them that every nation would be Israel after a while, mm, mm. you know, like God would work through the Israelite nation to be a blessing to all the nations and would make all the nations um, fear God and walk in his wisdom in the yeah. same way that Israel does. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why it's throughout like the, the Old like Testament, the you see and archetype so thing. many in- inclusions of, um, oh, sorry, the internet went a bit weird. You see so many inclusions of people joining Israel, whereas I don't think yes. if it was an exclusive, like, no, no, God is only there for these people there wouldn't be like inclusions of people joining so like even yeah. when the um when they left um when they left uh, Egypt you see like little inclusions of some Egyptians joining them mm. when they um you know when they took down Jericho you see like oh well Rahab and her family they join you see it like over and over and over even when you get to the new testament there's parts like in Acts where it talks about how the Pharisees joined the Christian movement. It's it's mm. constantly this story that God's love and his choosing is for everyone. He wants yes. them to come into what he's making, which is an incredible thread that is just sewn right through. Um, so anyway, that's just a, a little it. side point, getting my love preacher it. on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another name for the Canaanites uh, were the Amorites. Um, you may know that, and that's a, that's a more ancient name for them. But when God is talking to Abram in Genesis 15 and verse 16, Genesis 15 and verse 16, when you're there, everybody say, Amen. <laughs> All right, amen, sorry, pastor. Now I'm, now I'm the pastor. Um, <laughs> I'm missing preaching in front of people. Nah. <laughs> After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. So the implication here is that God is actually trying to work with these Amorites, he's trying to work with them. And he's saying, hey, look, the Amorites, they're on a track and I'm trying to work with them. But if that wickedness and that um, that the sins that they are committing right now exceed a certain point, I'm going to bring your people, Abram's people back here and give you this land because the land that I've given to the the Amorites, they're, they're squandering it. They're not you know, using it wisely. They're not using the information and the resources wisely or all that sort of thing. So, yeah, mm. that's it, it's it's little hints. It's quite subtle, but you can see that story going on in the background. Yeah, it doesn't help that there's two separate names, you know, but sure. <laughs> anyway, yeah, true that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, God was trying to work, work with them behind the scenes. He wanted them to be a part of it, but clearly they in some, playing ball. some point in history... They chose not to. They kept going down their path. And so I guess, like, I, that's how I make sense of this, that this was the only option left for God. I don't think this was his first choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's clearly not his first choice. I don't think it was his second or third either. But um, I think this is the problem with the Bible. Um, I know that sounds kind of controversial, but <laughs> um, as much as we as Westerners, like, we have this very um, linear view of history of like okay these are the events that happened in sequence and this is what led Mm. to this and here are all the details like ancient history does not care about 
our modern sensibilities. It does not care. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they write history differently than we do, than we do, and we than we want even. Yeah, even prior to the um twentieth nineteenth century, like nineteen hundreds, yeah. yeah, even yeah. history back then was written differently. You know, let alone to what we want now. Now we want a detailed of everything that happened minute by minute by multiple sources. That's yeah. just not how it worked back then. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of like guesswork and like educated uh, assumptions that you have to make when you're reading stuff like this. And I know that kind of sounds like dodgy, like it's the Bible. We can't really do that because it's the Bible. But yeah. at the same time, it's not giving us everything. You have to make uh, educated guesses and you have to try and fill in the blanks tentatively, not holding on too tightly um, because otherwise, well, I mean, what else are you going to get? What else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, this is like a part of the thing that, you know, people who are arguing against Christianity and that kind of thing, and they're arguing against this kind of thing, they're like, oh, you're just making stuff up to defend it. And you're like, well, I kind of have to, you know what I mean? I'm not making <laughs> yeah. stuff up, but I kind of have to fill in the yeah. blanks. Like you're making me defend something that's thousands of years old and has yeah. limited historical resources on, you know, it's kind of... yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's it's part of the problem as well. Like how our modern mindsets play so many issues into how we interpret the Bible and how we see God and all this. Kind of, oh, anyway, yeah. that's endless yeah. problems we're dealing with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that we have all the answers, but we're we're working through it too. Yeah. Um, cool. So sorry, just a little bit lost on our notes. Okay, there we go. Um, any okay? We, any other thoughts on God working behind the scenes with the Amorites slash Canaanites? Are you good there? No, I think we're good there. I think we. I mean, we already touched on it a little bit towards the beginning, so I think we can move on because there's some other stuff that we probably should cover. Because I think a lot of like, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, okay, sure, but like, what about the actual killing? Because there's like parts in this where it actually says, and then they killed everybody, and so what about that? Yeah. So one thing here with the language that's used and we don't like a lot of people don't like to say this kind of thing when it comes to the Bible. Um <laughs> but uh the Bible actually the Bible use like you got to remember it's written by language. It's written in a language that was used by people, people who were just like us, you know, that's real people in real times in real history. They had ways that they would say things that weren't necessarily uh, 100% accurate to the actual events that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't want to say it like that, but okay. No, but um, that's 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 just the fact of the matter. Yeah. So, like, okay. So say I was watching a footy match. Um, sorry. Uh, as in AFL, Australian Football League. What is and, that? I don't even know what that um, is. <laughs> Geelong, my team, absolutely wrecks. Um, I don't know. Who's your team, Jesse? GWS? Uh, the West Coast Tigers. Who are the West Coast Tigers? Isn't that the Perth team? Or is no, that the West Coast Eagles? Oh, Eagles. My bad. <laughs> okay. My bad. Sorry. Yeah, free, no, you're, free, you're more of a... Fremantle? Fremantle? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Free, Fremantle? Yeah, we can say Frio. Um, okay, sorry. Frio. So, all right. So, uh, so, it just comes out of me. All right. Geo so, right. versus Frio. <laughs> all right. So, say my team, they win and they absolutely... They, they double the score of Jesse's team, right? And then I talked to Jesse the next day. I'm like, mate, did you watch that footy match last night? Geelong destroyed you guys. Like, absolutely wrecked you. And then you can be like, no, Josh. Um, 
They got on the plane the day after and they went home. They weren't destroyed. They weren't killed. What are you talking about? They were completely <laughs> functional afterwards. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, you got wrecked. Like, no, we weren't wrecked. We just lost the game, Josh. You know, <laughs> um, that's like, like such a Sheldon thing to say. <laughs> it really is. But I mean, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. And uh, like, I'm not saying the Bible is like deliberately lying about it. I'm just saying, I think they, I feel like they use language to to describe things in a way that goes like further than what actually happens in a way yes so i think i think probably for those of us who are, for those of you who are listening and thinking okay you're totally diving off the deep end it's the bible it's got to be true it's got to all be true otherwise none of it's true yes i used to think that way as well but i think one of the things that we need to get to grips with is the fact that as we mentioned before Ancient writers, and especially ancient historical writers and historians, didn't have the same modern values that we have today. So today, we would have a very difficult time believing a story written about a true historical event that happened yesterday, let's say, if a bunch of the facts were incorrect. We would just throw it out. Like, I... We could probably do a very deep divergent uh, side note into fake news and to uh, all that sort of stuff, but I, but that's that's a different story. Um, the fact of the matter is, if if a news article came out about something that happened yesterday, let's say about or what happened today about Boris Johnson being admitted to hospital, right? Mm-hmm. If if we were reading that and a bunch of the facts were just wrong and were proven to be wrong, you wouldn't have much faith in that in that journalistic um, uh, entity. But when it came to ancient writers, um, the facts were often not as important or easily recorded as the story that the writer was trying to tell. Um, when it came to ancient uh, historians, they were telling the story of their nation. They were telling the story of their people. And so if uh, the facts were kind of mediocre... Uh, or if the facts were not all easily gathered or like you couldn't collate all of them as easily because they didn't have reporters on the ground, you know, like going live back to the studio. Yeah. Like just things weren't as easy to gather. Uh, and if especially if you believe that Joshua was written many, many hundreds of years later in a completely different setting, um, it's really difficult to be able to pinpoint, okay, this is exactly what happened. Yeah. Now, just to clarify... Before people, I'm sure there are people right now screaming heretic at whatever they're listening. We're not saying that the story is untrue. We're just saying the way that it's told doesn't necessarily go in line with how we would retell a story that happened, right? Like we would want the exact, like, you know, whenever there's a big crisis, we want the exact numbers and all that kind of stuff. If even one number is off, people go crazy at that source. Whereas, yeah, like what we're saying, they didn't necessarily write it like that. And we can prove it to you, to be honest. It's yes, that's exactly... The Bible. <laughs> we actually... All right, so do you want to read the first bit and I'll read the second bit or do you want to do it the other way around? Um, I'm a little bit lost. Wait, oh, oh, oh all right, that's example fine. one. Yeah. I'll tell you do, you, do you have example one? Joshua 10, verse 38 to 39. Wait, that's not what mine... Oh, uh, sorry, guys, a bit of a, I'm a little bit lost in my notes. These are my notes, uh, sorry. We have more notes I'm on this episode. I'm looking at my notes and looking at josh's notes at the same time the what what so my example i'll read my example okay all right 
Okay, so my example is a uh, description of Joshua and his soldiers conquering a little town in Canaan called Debir. So here's what it says in Joshua 10, verse 38 and 39. Then Joshua and the Israelites turned back and attacked Debir. He captured the town, its king, and all of its surrounding villages. He completely destroyed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. He did to Debir and its king just what he had done to Hebron and to Libna and its king. And then it goes on about all the other things that Joshua conquered out of that. Now, that seems pretty clear cut to me. It seems that Joshua just completely destroyed everything that was in the town and he killed everybody. Like, does that seem pretty clear to you, Josh? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then we, what? Do we go into Joshua 15, 13 to 15? Yes, please. Thank okay. You. Yep. Sorry about that, everyone. Got a little bit lost. Okay. According to the commandment of the Lord, um, oh, this is from the ESV, by the way. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jeff, Jephune, Je- I always get these names wrong, yeah, um, a yeah, portion totally. among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, and Ahiman, and Talmai, <laughs> the descendants of Anak. Man, this is killing me. All right. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Deba. Uh, De- How did you say it? Debir. Debir. Now, the name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. I could be totally mispronouncing it. I, I don't know. I don't know either. Yep. Um, but that's not that's not important. What is important is that okay. So this is five chapters after um, we see Joshua completely destroying everybody in Debir. That's mm. that's what the text said. It said that Joshua killed everybody in that town and all the villages around it. And yet we see that in chapter fifteen, we don't know how long. It could have been a couple of months. It could have been a couple of years. We we just don't know. Um, Caleb then goes out to fight against the people living in Debir. But I thought I thought they were all dead. I thought you that you'd killed them all. So yeah. which is it? Did you kill all of them or did you not? You know? Is one of you lying, you know? Yeah. And I think it comes down to the language like they're saying destroyed, but destroyed could mean just dismantled. It's not functional anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just how they talk about it, like the same way I would talk about a footy match kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which sounds crazy to compare this whole thing to the footy, but um, it, it's just I, it's just best analogy I could come up with. <laughs> no, it's good. No, it's good. I think I think that's a good analogy. But I think I think what is important here, it's the same way that a a fan of Geelong would talk about a win if their if their side won. You know, like they would use the same language that we completely destroyed you, we completely wrecked you. It's that whole bravado thing of my side beat your side and we completely demoralized you we completely ground you into the into the dirt sort of thing like that's that's how that's how sports fans talk when they are trying to lord it over their friends who go for some different side when their side is the winner and i think that's what what the writer of joshua is trying to do here he's trying mm-hmm. to reinforce how successful and how um superior uh, Israel and the God of Israel is to the Canaanites and their forces and their gods. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like that's and so what we're actually saying is like not to is to like 
you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, okay, if it's if the language isn't accurate, then how I would see it, then I don't really need to read it and pay attention to it. That's actually yeah. the opposite of what we're saying. You actually need to pay more attention to the little details because otherwise you'd miss a detail like this. Like the very, you know, the name is repeated, but often we miss it because all these names seem so foreign to us. Yeah. So this is why we like to like are telling people, hey, pay more attention as you read scripture. Look deeply at the language. Read it from a couple of different translations. <gasps> oh, shock and horror. There's no perfect <laughs> translation, you know. But again, like things just don't necessarily translate into English and also into our modern language. So it's it's important to read and to pay close attention to details. And, you know, like it's that's how you pick up stuff like this that mm. Yeah. Anyway. So it's hard it's hard to say this, but I think it has to be said, and that is that these ancient biblical writers are not putting the same pressure on you, the modern reader, that perhaps you thought they are. They're not expecting you to take every word literalistically, you know, taking like it had to happen that way. That's really, that's a really hard pill to swallow. And I know, and I understand that a lot of people will not be able to do that or will have a really hard time doing that because then you start to wonder, well, what do I take literally? What don't I take literally? You know, yeah. that's, you know, I understand. I wouldn't expect you to um, to accept that. But when it comes to things like these, a, a more careful, nuanced approach that doesn't expect everything to be taken literally, I think is the best approach. Yeah, it's more, it's taking it, it's taking it as truth. Yeah, mm. like, I don't know, that's, that's an interesting thing. Maybe we should do an episode on that one day too. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> a lot harder to cover. We'd probably need a specialist to come in on that one. <laughs> yeah. Ben and Wells? look, there's a lot anyway. of there's a lot of different examples of this. We don't have time to 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 go into any of these other examples, but there are a whole bunch of other examples that I've found of um, the same story told from two different sides, uh, and each of them having valuable uh, information to convey, but ultimately, um, unfortunately, when it comes down to it. A lot of what we read is biblical writers um, coming from a biased place, and that's that's just how things were back then. And I don't think that a heck of a lot has changed. I think we just have learned to hide it a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we're pretty much out of time, but we've got one last point. Um, but it won't take too long. Um, and let's remember. The Bible's pretty clear on the fact that Jesus is meant to be the ultimate revelation and the ultimate picture of who God actually is in the most in the way that we can see God. We are supposed to be able to see God the most clearly through Jesus. And so when Jesus comes, how does he come? Mm. He doesn't come as a warlord. He doesn't come like Genghis Khan or um, you know, Napoleon or something like that. He just comes to serve people, to heal people, to bring love and to, to, to teach, you know, and it's, he comes to, to very humble beginnings as well, uh, born mm. into not a particularly rich family, into a manger, all that kind of stuff. He's carpenter for the first 30 years, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's and it, his, his, end, his ending picture is that he actually died for those that he loved. He laid down his life for his friends, his, you know, for us. Yeah. Um, so that everybody could be a part of this, Israel, this nation that God wants to lift up, this kingdom of heaven that he's trying to build, this people who follow Jesus. That's the picture of God. And mm-hmm. so when we look at this stuff in the Old Testament and we we think, ah, you know, how is that God being just? How is that God being good? Well, okay, let's look at this, this through the lens of 
looking at Jesus and how he came. The big theological word there is to look at the Old Testament, Christ, what is it? Christoically, I think it is. Christologically. Christologic? Christ? Okay, anyway. Or Christocentrically? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Someone should correct us on that. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, like, that's that's the picture of God to start with now for us. Mm. We are so blessed that we are on the other side of that, that we can see that picture of Jesus. And we can see that picture of God through Jesus. And so we can look at the rest of the story retrospectively through Jesus. Mm. That's the big picture here. And that's what's exciting. And that's what, like, we're so lucky where we are right now. We have mm. no idea, but we really are. Um, and so that's where I wanted to land the plane. Anything else to add to that, Jesse? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good way to, to, to land it that ultimately um, Jesus' weapons of war, unlike Joshua and the Israelites, was love. And that uh, Joshua, I think, I think Joshua triumphed over the sin and darkness of the Canaanite empire despite having to use violence. But I think Jesus then, he takes that and he inverts it and he, he wins, he triumphs. Um, by being subject to violence. Um, you know, mm. Joshua won his victories through the shedding of his enemy's blood, whereas Jesus won his victory ultimately through the shedding of his own blood. Um, Preach. You know. So yeah. good. So I, right I don't think Easter. that... I do, yes. Wow. That wasn't even intentional. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. hey, man, it's the gospel. That's the gospel. Mm. Um, and I don't think that... I don't think that we can look at the conquest and see, okay, well, th- this is evidence of an angry God. And then over here, we have an, a God of love. I think that God of love comes through even in the midst of the conquest. And I hope that our discussion has illustrated that because ultimately um, that is the God that Jesus portrays as he is hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the whole world. Hmm. Oh, so good. I love the gospel. Every time I hear it, man. Ah, oh, so good. All right. Um, so thank you guys we'd love to hear your feedback on this episode I'm sure there will be a lot of feedback on this episode um, thank you for listening sorry we've gone a bit longer than normal <laughs> but uh, you know we just um, yeah we know this is a big thing and um, yeah you know if we need to keep talking about it uh, keep going into it um, let us know let us know your questions your thoughts so um, yeah we can help make content that's going to be um, beneficial to you guys um, so the best place to find all things Burn the Haystack is, of course, burnthehaystack.org. Make sure you go there, check it out. Um, check it out. It's got links to our social and even a way to directly contact us through the website. Absolutely. And you can listen to our latest episode on the front page of um, burnthehaystack.org so you never miss a thing. Mm. Um, speaking of which, if you have not already subscribed to this podcast, please subscribe to it on whatever podcatching app that you uh, find most useful. We are on basically everything that you can imagine. And if there is one thing that we are not on, let us know and we'll try and get onto it. But I'm pretty sure we are literally on every podcatching platform almost out there. Yep. <laughs> Um, I know Google has some troubles with this sometimes, but it, it seems to, because we're not in the US, but then it seems to fix itself. So it is a continual mystery to me how that works. And I do not understand it in the slightest. <laughs> like many things. Yeah. Mystery of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and if you'd like to help us out, uh, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on your podcatching app of choice. If your podcatching app of choice does not have functionality, um, just head over to iTunes uh, on Apple Podcasts. And uh, I need to stop saying iTunes, but yeah, it's on Apple Podcasts and uh, leaves a review there. It helps us to 
to get uh, more exposure, get more listeners, and get the good word out there more. Absolutely. So good. Thank you, everybody. Stay awesome. We love you. That is Josh and Jesse out. So, quick question go. about Lord of the Rings lore before I have to go to a meeting. I'm running late, but uh, yep, yes. Uh, the so the big, you know, the big orcs. I've forgotten what they're called. The one that Uruk-hai. made like, the handprint, huh? Urukai. Yeah. Yep. What are that? I thought they were the elves. No, no. Urukai are a blend between men and orcs. So oh. that's pretty disgusting. Is there yep. like a? Okay, I don't want to know the story, but I'm, is there like a? I don't know. Is there law behind how they came about? I don't know how they reproduced, but I think it was... So Saruman was the one who was responsible for creating the Urukai. I think his idea was to... I think they're the Dunlendings. They're basically hill people that are like the enemies of the Rohirrim, the Rohan. Um, Oh, right, yeah. Rohan is like Aragorn, right? No, Rohan is the horse people, like the Celtic horse people. Oh, 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 right, right, right. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. So the Urukai, I think, are like Saruman's idea was to blend the the strength and the height of uh, a man with the viciousness and the toughness of an orc. Hence, uh. why the Urukai. Yeah. And he can do it through like magic and all that kind of stuff. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you see it in the movies, like I don't think it. I from memory, uh, it's been a long time since I've read Lord of the Rings last. But from memory, I don't think it goes into detail about how it happens. But in the movie, you see the Urukai being birthed basically from these slimy pods. Yeah, um, I thought so. Okay, what the, I thought in the movie was that they were like an ancient orc or something, and he was pulling them out of the mud, like they were like, mm. um. I don't, it's like they've been preserved in there or something is what I thought when I watched it no that's what it, that's how it painted it to me okay yeah no but, I mean that I can see why you would think that I think that just he's just doing it he's just playing with the the gene pool and oh. you know doing some mad scientist sort of experiments sort of thing oh okay interesting yeah you don't I don't think it gives that picture in the movie no because they're mining no. it it makes it seem like they're ancient you know what I mean like, right it, yeah no, orcs, orcs and goblins originally were corrupted by the original Dark Lord, Morgoth, um, and they were elves that um, went and served him, and over, and over time they were corrupted to the point where they became orcs. Sort of how, like, in the in huh. Oblivion, like, I don't know if you remember the... Um, is it the Snow Elves um, become... I never played Oblivion. Oh, uh, or Skyrim. Did you play Skyrim? Yeah, I played Skyrim. But oh, the Falmer. You remember the Falmer? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're like them. They used to be elves, but they become so corrupted that they live underground, and that's why orcs don't. Um, it's the same sort of shtick. Like orcs don't like sunlight, so they won't go out in sunlight. Unlike the Urukai, who because they are half man, half human, they go out in sunlight. Oh, and they don't care. So, that's why all the attacks are at night. Yes, that's right. And that's oh. why, like, when Sauron sends his armies to attack um, Minas Tirith, he sends those clouds ahead of him so that, you know, to ease the passing of the orcs. Wow. That is fascinating. All right. Yeah. Cool. My questions have been answered. 
Cool. <laughs> okay. Should I include that in the episode? <laughs> oh, yeah, true. We're still recording. Uh, you can. I, it depends how long it is. I don't want people to be like, whoa, this episode's like an hour and 30 minutes. I'm not listening yeah. to that. Uh, when really good. 30 minutes of it is us just geeking out. 